Well, I don't know if most of you have had the privilege recently, such as our senior pastor, to uh, have a physical recently. Any physical takers recently out there? No? Well, you're in luck. Because physicals are very uncomfortable experiences, aren't they? I mean, I don't know who designed them, but it seems like each step of the process is designed to make me feel uncomfortable. From the waiting room, to the labyrinth hallway, to the paper dress, to the stranger, mysteriously coming in at some point to do some unknown test to me at some time. You know, it's like designed to make me nervous or more nervous. But the truth is, we really have nothing to complain about when it comes to medical treatment today, do we? I mean, think about how far we have come in just the last hundred years. Did you know that less than a hundred years ago, or just, just at or just over a hundred years ago, if you had a cough, it was possible that you would be prescribed heroin. Did you know that? Clear your cough right up. You'd be amazed. Do you know if you had a crying baby, you could just go to the store, purchase these things called soothing syrups. And basically what it was is a concoction of opium and morphine that you would give your infant. Trust me, they stop crying. But moms do not be tempted to do that. Uh, for insurance purposes, I need to say that's no longer safe. Okay? But it's amazing how far we've come that we're able to take something so abstract, how we feel, and turn it into something concrete, like an actual diagnosis of what is going on in your body. I don't know if you saw this, but just two weeks ago, GE announced a new machine, a new CT scan called Revolution. I want to show you some of these pictures. It's unbelievable what this thing can do. In the blink of an eye, it can take a snapshot of any layer of your body exactly as it is. It can take a picture of your heart in between beats. And you can see exactly what's going on inside your body. Look at this next picture. This might gross some people out, but to me, I find it beautiful and amazingly intricate, God's creation. And now, because of this new technology, we can get a window, a clear picture of something that used to be so abstract. Now, as incredibly important as medical breakthroughs like this are, as helpful as they are, as wonderful as they are, and how many people that they're going to help, we know that physical health and beauty left by itself are not things that are going to give us fullness, happiness, or a, a full life. The Apostle Paul says it this way, while physical training, think physical health, is of some value, godliness, think spiritual health, is of greater value for all things, holding promise not just for this present life, but also for the life to come. You see, as Christians, we believe that this wholeness, this fullness, this spiritual health can only be found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We believe that each of us were born spiritually disabled, and it is only by asking Jesus to be our forgiver and our leader that we can become spiritually enabled to be all that God created us to be. After all, he says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And he also says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now the beauty of all of this is that there's no cover charge. It's not about what you do or about what you don't do. All, everyone, 
anyone are welcome to come just as you are to God, just as you are to receive his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, and this new full life is for you. This is the good news of the gospel, right? And although we're told that this spiritual healing will be received in full, that we actually, the moment we give our lives to Jesus, that we have access to that, that we are given that gift, Scripture also tells us that in this life, we will still struggle to live a spiritually healthy life. A life that is in line with this incredible gift that we've been given. So it's incredibly important for us, just as we're so concerned about our physical health, to be equally, if not more so, concerned about how we're doing spiritually, to be intentional about that, to be self-aware. But the bad news is that we can't just go to a doctor and get a snapshot of how, our, how we're doing spiritually. We can't get a picture of our spiritual heart. And sometimes I think when it comes to kind of diagnosing how we're doing spiritually, we have a really hard time doing it. It seems almost impossible or just out of reach. You know, it seems like it's too vague. Right? Uh, I'll use Peter, you as an example. I don't know if you've been to a men's group, women. It's probably something just like this, but with more crying. But usually if somebody asks you, how are you doing spiritually? You do this kind of math in your head. You say, okay, how do I feel right now? Feel Okay. Uh, have I committed any big sins recently? Well, it was just once, but it's okay. Uh, and uh, have I been to church enough? Have I read the Bible enough? Have I prayed enough? Uh, I could have been better. And what comes out of our mouth is, I'm doing okay. Right? Isn't that generally how it goes? We get really vague. We're not very specific. We don't know how we would even go about describing the spiritual health of our heart apart from some of these boundary markers. And then on top of that, we tend to be in denial when it comes to the true state of our spiritual hearts. We tend to be also a little bit defensive about where we're at, kind of keeping the truth at a comfortable arm's distance. Now, when I think through history of examples of people who, like us, exemplified this sort of spiritual denial and uh, being comfortable in the vagueness, in the gray area of spiritual health, I really think of the Pharisees of Jesus' time. I think they're a perfect example of that. And as we've walked through Mark over these past couple months, I think you've seen that, right? You've seen Pharisees, the religious leaders, being challenged by Jesus, Jesus saying, you think you're all high and mighty, but you're not. You've got it all wrong. And then Jesus goes and heals somebody before their very eyes. A, a man born paralyzed stands up and walks out of a room right in front of him. And do they turn from their ways and say, you know what, you're right. Forgive me, help me to live this life that you're talking about. Do they? No. They immediately start plotting to kill him. It's bizarre behavior until we understand that they don't care about the truth. What they care about is maintaining a way of life that they've become very comfortable living in. And these religious leaders and a whole crowd of other people is exactly the audience that Jesus is talking to in our text today. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're not so different. 
So what can we do? How can we get a window into our spiritual health when we tend to have such thick walls around our ears and our eyes? How do we communicate to a people, the Pharisees, this crowd, us here in this room today, when we all seem to have a knack for being ever seen but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding? How can we accurately diagnose the condition of our heart, the most important area of our lives amidst all our personal interference? Well, as we'll see in our text today, it's not new technology, nor is it a two-by-four across the head, like some of you might expect. Jesus used short stories called parables. He used parables as a sort of language for those who are trapped in denial. He used parables to communicate to people when direct speech would be ineffectual. Jesus used parables to make abstract, abstract concepts like our spiritual health, the condition of our heart, understandable, relatable, concrete. And also, parables have this amazing way of sneaking around our defenses and pushing us unreluctant, or reluctantly in front of the mirror so that we can look at ourselves and they provoke us to think, actually think and engage with something that we might otherwise be resistant to. I think if we all are honest with ourselves today, we're really good at hiding in obscurity, aren't we? And sometimes when things come into clear focus, we resist it. But if we're really willing to take a hard look in the mirror, to listen to God's word today, I know that he's going to reveal some of the junk that's getting caught in the gears of the full life he's called you to live. So now we're going to do something that might be uncomfortable we're going to enter the exam room. We're going to sit before the great physician and we're going to let the very words of Jesus diagnose the condition of our heart. So open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be looking at a story that might be familiar to some of you. It's called the parable of of the sower and it's the first 20 verses follow along with me as I read again Jesus began to teach by the lake the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat out in it on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge he taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said listen a farmer went out to sow seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still others fell on good soil and came up and grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. 
Then Jesus said, whoever has ears, let them hear. And when he was alone with the twelve and the others around him, they asked him about the parables and he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So that, this sound familiar? They may be ever seen, but never perceiving. Ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Sometimes when we come across, I'll just pause right here for a second. This passage, which is quoted several other times in Scripture from Isaiah chapter 6, we get confused because we think it's talking about predestination or God not wanting people to understand his message, which obviously that is, cannot be the case. Because if God did not want people to understand this message, wouldn't it have been easier for him not to come or just to stay silent? He's speaking in hyperbole. He's saying just like Isaiah's audience had deaf ears to the truth Isaiah was proclaiming to them, this audience has deaf ears to a greater message from a greater messenger. And then he continues to unpack the parable. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed that falls along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes it away, the word that was sown in them. Others, like the seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And others, like the seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. There is a lot going on in this parable. And I know it can be a little overwhelming as you try to get your bearings in something as complex as this story with all the different parts and pieces. But essentially what Jesus is saying is that this tiny seed of incredible, infinite, world-changing potential, the Word, the Gospel, God's message of who He is and what He has done to rescue us from our failure, is going out into the world through Him and eventually through His disciples. And no matter what obstacles it faces in this world, there will, in fact, be an abundant harvest. But the question for us today is whether they, whether we, will play a part in this story of extravagant redemption. If we will be given a hundredfold harvest or if we'll just be content sitting on the sidelines. The truth is that we're incapable of producing this kind of fruit in and of ourselves. It's something that God has to do in us. And Jesus says that it's dependent on the condition of your heart, as described in these four soils. However, the good news is, no matter where you are, no matter what the condition of your heart is, no matter which of these soils most resonates with where you are today, you can change. God can change you. He can transform your soil and make it productive once again to live the fruitful and full life that he's called you to. But in order for us to get there, we have to start with an honest assessment of where we're at now.
So my question for you is, what is the condition of your heart? Is your heart like the hard ground of the path described in verse 15? I've had the opportunity to go to this particular beach in Florida that is known for its shells. Now what they don't tell you in the the flyers about this place is that it's also known for the incredible amount of seagulls that are on this beach. Have you guys ever been to a beach like this? Where you take out a sandwich and all of a sudden it's like Alfred Hitchcock movie is happening around you, right? And what happens as soon as that like piece of bread or anything that you're eating gets just far enough from you, what do the birds do? They swarm in and devour it. I mean, it's quite a scene. It's like this feeding frenzy. This isn't so different from what Jesus is saying in this parable about the hard soil. You see, we're surrounded by these ravenous birds looking to steal away the seed from you at any moment. The seagulls of life begin to swarm when we keep the gospel at arm's reach. Seagulls like the busyness of life. When we get caught up and consumed with the day-to-day demands of, of kids, of work, of friendships, of a marriage, of yourself, your wants, your wishes, your desires, and that seed is just gone because you're, too, you're thinking too much about what you're doing today. Or, or seagulls like lingering doubts or questions. Doubts are questions that really you've never pursued or done anything about, but any time you have a spiritual conversation, any time you've heard the gospel, immediately you think of these questions and you just dismiss it. Or maybe it's hurt. Maybe you've been hurt at the hands of a believer and you say, I will never follow something that produced that. Or maybe your life is just so filled with hurt that it's honestly, it's just hard for you to believe that there's a good God that is anything worth saying. Or maybe it's pride. Maybe you've bought into the philosophy that our culture preaches that you don't need help and you don't want help. You're going to prove your value, your worth by how hard you work in this world, by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, and by everything you can acquire in the process. Or maybe it's more like indifference or apathy that comes and snatches away the seed. Maybe you're not hostile towards it, you just think it's irrelevant for life. You're not interested in the conversation, you don't have any uh, value for it. Or maybe you're just not motivated to change, and you don't care if it's true or not. The truth is, all of us are going to come all of us are going to come to a point where we get to the end of ourselves and we're going to be forced to consider Jesus now for some of us that will happen in life and others only in death but it is the tragedy of tragedies when that is only realized too late what is the condition of your heart Is it like the hard ground of the path? There is hope. Don't settle for a hard heart. It's not too late. Open up your heart to God this morning and let him restore your soul and help you become who you're meant to be. What is the condition of your heart? Is it like the rocky soil? 
Years ago, I led a trip to Juarez, Mexico with a bunch of high school students, and we were tasked with the assignment of digging a foundation for this pastor's house in the community. So we arrive, and it's just this really small area, honestly, like 15 by 15. And we think, there's like 30 of us. We're going to knock this out in a day. I don't know what we're going to do for the rest of the week, right? So we stick our shovel in the ground, and we hit something. And we soon come to find out that this particular location was built on, side, uh, on top of a very shallow landfill. So with every scoop of dirt, we're picking up something with it. There's a buried tire, there's a carpet, there are rocks, there's anything you can imagine is under the ground here. And if we're going to build a house that will last, if we're going to be able to have a good foundation, we have to get all of that junk out, no matter how hard it is. Otherwise the house will just fall over and it won't do what it's supposed to do. You see, it's hard work building a strong foundation in a messy world. It can take lots of time. It can take lots of effort to sink our roots down deep. I think sometimes when we receive the seed, we kind of get caught up in an emotional moment and we don't think about what it means, what it means to give my life over to Jesus. We don't think about what it's going to cost. What am I going to have to change in my life? What am I going to have to give up? What, what is it going to cost me? And if this is you, you might find yourself thinking, man, this is just too hard. This Christianity thing is, is hard. Or you might be saying something like, at first everything was okay, but now you're really struggling to keep up appearances. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that there are some here today, some of you sitting here now, you know that your faith is withered. You know it. Maybe you've never told anybody, but as you're hearing this, you know, that's me. Or maybe you've never let that seed of faith move anywhere near the core of who you are. You've always just kept it at the surface. You go through the motions on Sunday. Perhaps you even drive through six inches of snow. Maybe even another day of the week. But as soon as temptation is around, as soon as you're by yourself or around other people, it's as if your faith just is gone and you change. Or maybe more accurately, you change when you come to church. Or maybe this is a pattern for you, this pattern of, of sprouting and withering. It's sort of like this. You go through a walk in the woods and you come across this beautiful flower. And you admire this beautiful flower for what it is. You say, wow, that's cool. So what do you do? You reach down, you cut the flower, you bring it home, you put it on your counter, and you admire its beauty. Day one, it's still there. Day two, still there. Day three, maybe. But what's going to happen to that flower? What's going to happen? It's going to die, right? So what do you do? You go out on another walk. You find another flower and you cut it from its roots. You bring it home, you put it on your counter, you enjoy it for a couple days until it's gone. When this becomes a pattern in your life, we sort of move from emotional high to emotional high to emotional high, seeking out that next spiritual experience to sustain us. And what's going to happen, or maybe what has already happened, you look around, you look back at your walk with Christ, and you say, I really haven't gotten anywhere. I'm really at the same place I was 
five years ago. And it's just a matter of time before you think, I'm wasting my time. What is the condition of your heart? Is it like the rocky soil? Remember, there is hope. Put down the roots that will help you last through the dry season. Do the hard work of building a strong foundation that will last through the storms of life. There are no shortcuts. It will take you some time. But remember, you're not alone. This place, this whole place was built to help you do just that. That's why I'm here. That's why all the pastors are here. That's why chances are the person sitting next to you is sitting next to you because they want to help you with that. If this is you, get somebody to walk alongside you to help you put down deep roots. And remember that God has given you his word and his spirit to guide you along the path. What is the condition of your heart? Is it filled with thorns? This one might seem like it's the most obvious but actually, I think it's the most subtle. Sometimes thorns, we think, well, uh, the house is on fire. I know what the thorns are. It's the fire, right? There's an emergency. It's obvious. It cannot be ignored. You know exactly what it is. But remember in verse 7, it says the thorns grew up with the seed. I think it's a slower process usually. And it goes unnoticed. It's less like a fire and more like a carbon monoxide leak in your house. It's like this so leak that you don't notice at first. Then you start feeling its effects. You might even get used to it. But if you don't fix it, it will kill you. What makes it even more dangerous is that this soil is actually good soil, unlike the other two. After all, it's not just growing the seed, it's also growing these weeds and these thorns. The problem is that we have limited time, limited energy, limited resources, and limited attention, and the soil is trying to grow too many things. So there's not enough nutrients for it to grow the most important thing, the seed. It can't flourish. It can't produce fruit. This, the passage doesn't say that the plant disappears or withers or dies. It might still be growing. But it's fruitless. And we can't Get comfortable in a fruitless faith. Because that is very, very dangerous ground to be standing on. And Jesus talks about the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, or the desire for other things. He says, are you being choked out by the fears of this world? All the what-if questions that surround you. What if I lose my job? What about my car? What about my house? What about this? What about that? What about my kids? What about fill in the blank? You become so consumed with that that you can't even think about producing fruit. Has fear choked out your fruit? Have you listened to the lies of wealth that it will satisfy you, that you don't really need God, that I will be your security, or that you're better than other people if they only worked as hard as you, if they weren't so lazy? Or if you have less, have you believed the lie that you're less? Or have you believed the lie that you should give up everything to chase money? Because you know the old saying, some things money can't buy. You guys are familiar with that? The irony is that when you decide to chase money, those are the first things you'll have to give up. 
What is the condition of your heart? Is it cluttered with thorns? But remember, there is hope. No matter how overgrown your heart has become, call out to God this morning and ask him to do some weeding. What is the condition of your heart? Is your heart like the fruitful, the good soil described in verse 20? You see, what the passage says is fruit is a byproduct of a heart that has one heard the word and two accepted the word. A heart that has allowed the word of God to come into it and to grow down deep roots. A heart that is focused on pursuing Jesus and not other things that act as thorns to choke it out. And that is the heart that God will use to produce a 30, 60, or 100-fold harvest. This is something only God can do, remember. It's not about your gifting. It's not about your personality. It's not about your education, your experience, or anything like that. What I find so interesting is that Jesus describes every part of this parable, every piece of it, except the fruit. He doesn't say what it is. I think the reason he doesn't say what it is is because it's going to look different for everyone. We all have unique callings, unique environments, vocations, and spheres of influence. But what God uses is an open and humble heart that has a willingness to cast aside all other pursuits. What is the condition of your heart? Is it good soil? I want to tell you a story of a hundredfold harvest that I have had the privilege of seeing firsthand. And it's the story of my mom. My mom is an amazing woman. She grew up in a small town in the middle of nowhere, South Dakota. Terrible, rough family. Both parents, alcoholics, sexually abused all growing up. And as soon as she turned age, she got $100 that she saved up. She got on a bus knowing nobody and went to Minneapolis, Minnesota, the big city, with a suitcase. Talk about all the cards being stacked against you. She knew no one, had nothing, had no faith, was alone. And over time, she met my dad, she found Christ, and God began to work in her heart, began to change her, began to transform the hard ground of her heart that was so hardened by the scars that she had encountered in her life, and God began to produce fruit. One, two, three, four... And now, my mom has the incredible opportunity of teaching over 500 women every Tuesday morning about God's word. And that's not because she's so great. That's not because she's so gifted. It's because she has opened her heart to God and said, use me. Now remember, no matter where your heart is today, it can change. But also remember, don't get overwhelmed by thinking, I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not this public speaker. I'm not going to have that kind of fruit. Your fruit is going to be unique to you. But whatever that fruit is, God can multiply it 100-fold. Isn't that good news? I was so convicted this week because I realized that if Jesus says it's possible to get, be given a 100-fold harvest, I want that. I want it. I want all of it. I want to go all in. 
I want to push everything I have into the middle of the table and say, that's what I'm going to do. I only have a few years here, and I'm going to make the most of it. Don't you? But man, was I convicted. I don't pray like that. I don't pray for it. I don't ask God for that. I don't. I pray for all kinds of things, but I don't ask God for that harvest. And so my New Year's resolution is that I'm going to pray every single day that God would take these meager efforts to bring glory to his name and multiply them into a hundredfold harvest. And I want to invite you to join me. Those of you who are willing to take that challenge, to do what it takes, I want to invite you to every day pray that God would transform your meager efforts to bring him glory into a hundredfold harvest. It might be to high chairs, it might be to snotty-nosed kids, it might be on a stage, it might be in the background that nobody will ever see. But will you commit with me to keep our soil pure and to beg and plead with God to give us the grace to have a hundredfold harvest? Will you do it? can't wait to see what God is going to do. I can't wait. What we're going to do to close our service now is the band's going to come back out. Right? Yep. Okay, good. And I want you to use this time to reflect on the condition of your heart. I know you may not have received the news you were hoping for today. It might be hard. It might be overwhelming. But I want you to come before the great physician with me as we sing this song and reflect and ask God to plow up the hard ground to help you develop a firm foundation and grow deep roots, to reveal and remove any thorns, and to praise God that no matter how discouraging or overwhelmed we get, there will in fact be an abundant harvest and that God would give us a hundredfold. Amen.